everybody at the core of who they are, they want better for their neighborhood. Um, they don't want to be, you know, in a blighted area at all. I, I don't want to be sardine like packed on top of e- on top of each other in projects. We don't want that. We were born into this. We just want mm-hmm. you to help us make our community better by giving us a chance. And I think that's the heart of urban. That's the cry of most people in urban communities. We just want a chance to make our neighborhood great. Welcome into season two of Priced Out the Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Morgan. I'm right alongside Cornelia Swart. How you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Uh, happy New Year. Yeah. And welcome, welcome back to the show. It's You're good. excited for this season? I am. It's interesting. You know, we have some new microphones here yes. that we're using. Some new setup. Some new equipment. We have a new recorder. Still nice artwork. Can you believe that this lasted in this room? <laughs> no one has erased <laughs> no one, that. And like people need this to prep out stuff and yet they've respected this. That's I've loved that. That's a big expense in the motion graph. You don't realize that this is actually animated in yes. here. This is a digital <laughs> effect. And it's it's just nice that we're able to hold on to that. Too. Yes. There's a lot of expense put into that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm really excited this year. Like we just to kind of recap what we talked about on the last show uh, this year, we're going to hit up a few different cities and try to tell the stories in depth and really get to know some of the people in the city, some of the people behind the scenes uh, and just take the gentrification story to the next level. And so that's going to be an exciting thing for us uh, for season two of Priced Out. We've got. A really good show coming up in the future. Uh, you went down to Long Beach and got some really great stories. So yeah, we have a kind of a running relationship with the folks in Long Beach because the city is so similar to Portland in the way gentrification is happening. It's a city that, like Portland was a few years ago, has no renter protections. There's no limits on how much rent can be raised, and you can evict someone without any cause at all. So they're beginning to see mass evictions like we saw here in Portland in 2015, 2016. And it has a a really kind of more, even, even more of a racialized impact because up until a few years ago, Long Beach was, thanks mom. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you who don't know, we, um, we record this in my mother's basement. And every once in a while, she forgets that we're down here, and she turns the lights off. And <laughs> but then she remembers, and the light comes back on. So, um, so this was the most diverse city in America um, up until just a few years ago. It's just ranked second most diverse city in America um, just just recently. So it's a very very interesting class and yeah. racial web down there. Yeah, so that's going to be. Int- I'm actually really interested in looking up who's number one. <laughs> Oakland, 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 Oakland. There you go. Wow. Okay. All right. So that's a. I guess that's a good reason to go to Oakland. I've been looking for a good reason to go to Oakland. It's expensive. Yeah. All right. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to go over something that we've done before with you, and that's go over some terms. Um, the language of yeah. gentrification. Yeah, these are things that you're going to absolutely need to know um, because it's going to hit you at some point if it hasn't already hit you. And here's the funny thing about gentrification. If it's hit you once, it, it might come for you again. Yeah. It's almost a guarantee it's going to come for you again. So uh, even if you know some of these terms, it, it, use it as a reminder to uh, educate and inform other people and share the podcast and, and just share this language because it's important to know what you're coming up against. So, 
You know, but before we jump in there, you know, yeah. you you've you've said in the past because you're you know a producer who's done so much radio and so many podcasts. You're you're always encouraging me to to share more of my personal yes. experience, just yeah. like be personal. So um, I thought we'd just throw out in our conversational warm up, warming the audience up, just something about ourselves that the audience wouldn't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, are you are you willing to share? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. But yeah. like you 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 sprung it on me, so I got to think yeah. about yeah. it. Do you have one first? I, I will I will just share something. <laughs> I will share something that uh, today I am wearing my girlfriend's underwear. Oh, well, See, you know, you, that, know um, that. you know, sometimes th- I just don't do enough laundry and there's no underwear and she's got a lot just laying around. And, you know, I just you just have to do what you have to do because it's either that or chafing. And uh, it's a preferred, you know, you have to, to choose your battles. I feel like I was set up. <laughs> Or, like, you, you couldn't find a segue to tell us this. So, it's like, hey, here you go. Um, I think for me, it, it's one of those things where um, I, I don't know if a lot of people know that I have a, um, oh, man, this is tough. I have a background. Uh, I used to sell porn. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. It's going. It's We're going all the way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right that on. used to yeah. be one of my first main real jobs. I was a manager at a store and then I became like a video distributor at the warehouse and we distributed adult novelties. And wow. so um, I did that. That was my first real job for like three years. In fact, I was going to dive deeper into the industry um, before I moved to Tulsa and later became a radio DJ. But, yeah, I was going to move out to uh, Reno and um Carson City in that area where there's a lot of distribution places and huh. kind of just dive into the adult novelty industry and just God had other plans. I became a pastor, a radio wow. DJ and then a wow. pastor. So wow. That's a personal thing. That I, but I, people who know me know that. Though. Right on. Yeah, just, okay. <laughs> so. But probably the audience doesn't know that. Yeah, so this that's, audience that's, doesn't. Yeah, so this that's is great. Thanks for sharing. It's, that's great. Yeah. I I myself have seen pornography. So, <laughs> so. it's it's no, it's all relevant. This is not what our show is typically about. <laughs> it's about gentrification. But, We're but. just trying to show the human side of, of, yes. of it. And we are we are streaming live on, on Facebook. So if there's anyone out there who has a question, go ahead and feel free to throw it in there. Yeah. But you can't you can't ask questions about my underwear. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that uh, when it comes to the discussion of gentrification and some of the terms, there's a basic place that I like to always start with us. The term gentrification. Right. Like there are so many different personal ways that people view it. Mm-hmm. And one good example that we've talked about in the past is uh, Northeast Passage where Nikki's like, bring it on. Right. So kind of walk us through how people could be pro gentrification initially. Right. And I think that what we're getting at here is there are some definitions that people often don't really understand. And in the film Priced Out, we try to differentiate between the term revitalization and the term gentrification. So the term gentrification was coined in the 1960s by a sociologist named Ruth Glass. She was describing what was happening in the Islington neighborhood of London, where West Indian, working class West Indian, West Indian means means Caribbean uh, immigrants, were being displaced by bohemians, um, white sort of artist types, uh, who are buying the houses and, and sort of pricing them out. Gentrification, as classically defined, is always negative. Yeah. Right? It always means someone is getting pushed out as a result of new investment. And generally, I think people confuse it with revitalization in which there are new investments coming in 
and at least people want to believe that existing residents are going to benefit from that. Right, yeah. And so some people will be critical of saying, oh, well, you know, why don't you want gentrification? You don't want these neighborhoods to just be isolated and dysfunctional. And, you know, and, and there's sometimes there's a little bit of a racial edge to that yeah. kind of sentiment. Um, but I, I feel like sometimes they just mean revitalization, right? They, they want, they, the whole point of investment in their mind may be that it's good for the community as a whole. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was initially when I first heard the term and really looked at it, that's what I was like, yeah, I have no problem with it until I began to look closer and see mass displacement and all the things that were behind it. And I think everybody at the core of who they are, they want better for their neighborhood. Um, They don't want to be, you know, in a blighted area at all. I I think back to one of the childhood uh, interviews that I saw in my childhood with Tupac Shakur, where he expressed that point multiple times. They're like, I don't want to be sardine, like packed on top of on top of each other in projects. We don't want that. We were born into this. We just want Mm -hmm. you to help us make our community better by giving us a chance. And I think that's the heart of urban. That's the cry of most people in urban communities. We just want a chance to make our neighborhood great for the first time. Exactly. Yeah. I think there was a, mo- a moment on SNL. Was it Michael Shea, who's one of the anchors on SNL? Yeah. He's really brilliant. He's He's got to be one of the funniest guys yeah, he's out the there. Yeah. He's the head writer. Is he the head writer? Yeah, the, him oh, and that's... the other guy. Uh, Weekend Update guys are the head writers. The other guy's not that funny. <laughs> <laughs> he's the other guy. <laughs> Michael Shea drops some shit that's just coming out of his own personal experience that's just so yeah. tough and resonating. But but at one point, he like kind of looked at the camera and said, hey— you know, black people don't like crime either. Right. And it was like, it was almost like that has to be said for some people, especially yeah. when you look at, you know, people who make comments on on our YouTube page. Um, and that, yeah. like, people, like, need to, like, they, they don't even, they think, they think that some other way. <laughs> it's yeah. like, they think, you know, black communities are, are like, hey, great, we got some crime going on. <laughs> Terrific. Yeah. No, it's it's absolutely not. It couldn't be further from the truth that everyone's comfortable with those situations. But it's the external things that create that situation right. that we want to draw light to. Um, when we talked about in the former uh, terms where we talked about um, redlining and then how that plays a role with that. And all these things are covered and priced out the, the documentary. So. And so, so the idea there is that, you know, these communities, whether they're black or another uh, minority or working class white communities, um, they don't like the blight. They don't like the crime. You know, they don't like the disinvestment. They don't like the dysfunction, as we see, you know, Nikki talking about in, in the first film, Northeast Passage. Um, and people often hope the investment that's coming in is going to help with that. And yeah. it often does, but it does by pushing out yeah. um, folks who, who want to stay and who are making positive contributions to the community and who are just minding their own business. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We laugh. I mean, don't yeah. take the laughing uh, the wrong way, especially if it's just uh, in the podcast. Yeah, no, it, it's it's sometimes you. That's all you can do. It's a natural human right. reaction. Yeah. yeah, no disrespect intended. Because in all honesty, we've all been victims of it in some way, shape, or form or fashion. We've, you know, because I've always put it like this: for like someone like you, for example, you lost actual diversity in your community. Yeah, like that's something. That's an actual loss. Yeah. And so for, you know, people like I'm not from this particular community, but I have root shock 
issues with having to go back to Tulsa and Kansas City, and it's not the community I grew up mm-hmm. in. Um, none of those, you know, it's always completely gentrified. And so we all suffer due to this in some sort of way. So sometimes you just laugh through your pain. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes I laugh because it's so ridiculous that I have to explain something that seems so painfully obvious to me ever after having lived in the neighborhood for 20 years yeah. that like, I really have to, t- you know, explain this. But that's kind of the work we do is we, we kind of just explain it over and over again. So let's get into explaining some of these things. Let's mm-hmm. get into some of these terms. What's one of the first things you got uh, got written down for us today? Well, and if you remember, this is part two of another episode just called Language of Gentrification. And in that one, we kind of walk through terms that were more relevant in the past. Things right. like urban renewal um, and uh, um, redlining and blockbusting, right. things that kind of were things that built the ghetto, to 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 use a phrase, right? These neighborhoods, ne- you know, neglected neighborhoods, disinvested neighborhoods were kind of regulated into existence, right? There were like government policies, there were collusions with industry that prevented investment from happening in these neighborhoods, that prevented people from buying their own homes, that prevented people from taking care of their homes. Um, So we talked a lot about that. And then we kind of got up to getting out of the past and getting into the the present era and what those terms are now that we're sort of in an era of gentrification here in Portland and other places. So making that distinction between the different phases is important, right? So first, it's a term I kind of use, which is ghettoization. And if you think of that as there's sort of a line that's drawn around a neighborhood and the institutions say, we are not going to invest in this neighborhood. We are not going to take any risks in this neighborhood. We're going to exclude these people and we're going to force as many people we don't like into this neighborhood. It's kind of like a reservation, an Indian reservation mentality. And this is how redlining, codes, compacts, and restrictions, um, blockbusting, all of these things happen within the ghettoization phase of a neighborhood. And this is largely a phase that's behind us, although it still does exist. The next phase is revitalization, where some investment comes in, either small business or people start buying, people from the outside come in and start buying up homes or fixing homes and just living in them and fixing them. Sort of the first wave of gentrification, if you want to talk about it, but there's not a lot of displacement going on during revitalization. And there is a window here for locals to benefit from the investment. But this window often closes quickly and or it could last a decade or more. Um, but this is kind of like when Fred Stewart talks, we've had, you know, this um, Fred Stewart is a black realtor. He often talks about like this was a period, this revitalization period in in Portland, in the black community here that we cover and priced out, where you have about a 10-year period in which there's a trickle of money going in and that Fred would say, I wish more black folks had taken advantage of that period. Right. Of like held on to their homes or sold their homes for more. You know, they had played the game better, but this is often a period in which people aren't, focused on that. Right. It's kind of more or less they're focused on surviving. Right, exactly. when there are realtors actually targeting them right, exactly. and playing on the crime, but we won't go into that. You can just watch, listen to the 
Fred Stewart interview. You can listen to the Fred Stewart interview. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a very it's a very dicey period, um, and yeah, it's a period. It's it's like crisis and opportunity are the same yeah. thing in the Chinese language, right? Same word. So some people coming in and taking advantage of that opportunity slash crisis. Other people just trying to survive it, depending on where you know where okay. they are. So then the next phase is gentrification, in which it's clear that this neighborhood is a safe investment. It's a sure bet that if you buy here, it's going to go up in value. That's from the perspective of the the investor. And what you get is very rapid change. And the investments that are coming in are really not intended for the current residents. Right. They're invest- it's like, I'm going to open a store up because I know in two years there's going to be a bunch of rich people here and they're going to want artisan, you know, ice cubes. And so... <laughs> That's a thing. That is. <laughs> and so, so now you're talking about people who are really starting to speculate. People are buying houses and selling them with, you know, in six months, flipping, flipping houses. Or um, the term turn and burn comes up where you're just buying a house, not making any substantial improvements or a building and selling it very quickly. So during gentrification, I say there's a lot of institutions now are interested. Now you've got corporations who are investing. It's not small business. It's not individuals who are just buying up a, a storefront so that they can you know, do their dream business. Um, it's people who are buying up huge blocks of houses or buying up entire buildings and emptying the buildings and then making small improvements and selling the buildings or jacking the rents up. So that's a very fast and furious phase where there's a lot of displacement. The, the, the next phase, I would say, is housing crisis which is where we currently are, which is when people are displaced out of a neighborhood, they seek a neighborhood as close as they can that's affordable. And in a housing crisis, all of the housing prices have gone up so much that there really is no place in a given city or maybe even a region for you to go. How rent burden is an is a individual family in a housing crisis typically? So anytime you're paying, this is a federal statistic, anytime you're, you're paying more than 30% of your income, you are rent burdened. And there's six, in, in priced out, there's a stat which is about 60%, 50 to 60% of Portland's population are renters, and half of them are currently rent burdened. So that is when you're in a housing crisis. It's no longer gentrification as a neighborhood issue. Being that neighborhood over there has got some gentrification, we're fine over here. It's now, there's nowhere to run, and you have to, you know, as, as we see in Priced Out, Nikki moves um, out of the region. And so this is the next phase that, that cities often find themselves in. The last phase, sometimes people call this the fourth phase of gentrification. In my model, it's the fifth, I think, um, is institutionalization in which uh, people aren't even living in the housing anymore. The housing is just a, a financial instrument. It's just a vehicle for investment, you know, controlled out of distant headquarters in New York or China where you have a building that sits empty because they don't need tenants. They just need to warehouse money. 
Um, and this is happening in London. It happens in New York. It happens. It, there's a building right now that's being constructed that 60% of the units are being marketed to Chinese investors. And that's 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 a new phase. We've never yeah. seen that before. That's that's in the last 10 years. Gentrification has been going on really since the 30s um, in some places, Savannah, uh, Beacon Hill in Boston. We've never seen this before. Yeah. Now, I got a couple of questions. One being like, and this is coming from a very naive place, but I want to remain in this place to some degree and be hopeful. What is there between stages five and six? Is there ever a hope that communities can ever reverse the gentrification cycle or find a way to create affordable housing and or in some sort of fashion, like is going to the suburbs and deeper into some of these communities uh, that are a little bit cheaper, is, are those real solutions? Like, is there ever really a break from this monster or will it always get you? Yeah, I, it's a great question. We get it all the time. I think there's a couple of things to keep in mind is that, A, it depends on what your goal is. Right. Right. Is the goal to protect affordable housing? Is the goal to protect a given ethnic community and the cohesion of that community geographically? Um, and or is it really just to kind of stabilize rents so that there isn't this massive displacement or these massive convulsions? I think you can stabilize rents um, and we're going to... We, Oregon may be the first state to pass statewide rent control. And we, we could talk about that in future um, episodes if that's a good idea. Um, protecting ethnic enclaves is, well, that's uncharted territory. You know, Portland has a right to return policy where people who were displaced from a neighborhood, the black neighborhood in particular, get right of first refusal on subsidized housing programs and housing assistance programs. But you can't really protect an ethnic neighborhood based on its ethnic makeup because that's housing discrimination. No, oh, yeah. So, so that's why there there isn't kind of like um a, a more of a reparations themed housing program out there, right? So the right to return in Portland is based on zip code. So it, it's just like it assumes that you may be black if you lived in the zip <laughs> yeah. code in 1965 okay. because it was illegal for you to move anywhere else. Yeah. Um, but technically, it's just based on zip code. It's not based on race. Oh, okay. So that's kind of one of the major challenges. Um, and, and, and so, and I don't know, do you, do you feel like, what do, you, what do you feel about like protecting ethnic enclaves? Like, well, yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's necessary. I think the context in which each individual uh, views their life and has come up is important to protect that. It's not necessarily being pro-segregation or anything, but it is about uh, protecting individuals from uh, from traumas and different things that come along with being forced into uh, things that are not natural to the way that they may have been raised one way. Like if I'm in my mid-40s and then I'm forced or even well, let's go real life. If I'm in my early 30s and then I up and move to a all white community or a predominantly white community, it's a lot of shock and it's a lot of things to go through. And so sometimes there is a preference to maybe um, live in communities and work in communities in which you identify with the people in the community. So I think that's one reason why it's good to keep that, because although 
there is no there's not necessarily uh, an ethnic tone to like saying living in a white neighborhood or anything. But at the end of the day, there is the option for you to move around people who look like you have the same kind of jobs, the same education level, who understand your journey, who understand who you are. 100 like it you know like more percentage like i won't say 100 because no one's just a model like no one's the same but i think that's why it's kind of important to at least i feel like if not the housing then at least some of the institutions within the neighborhood right so churches community centers um businesses you know all these different things should should be allowed to still at least be supported to, to keep the neighborhood, you know, um, the way that it was. And, and, you know, we hear a lot of people go back and forth about, you know, finding community geographically. Yeah. And if that's, if that's a realistic thing versus finding community as an individual, you know, Stephen Green and Priced Out, the movie, uh, talks about, you know, I find my community where I find it. I make my community. Right. Yeah. Right. But it, that's sort of a little bit more of a middle class statement. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. It's, because you're allowed to do that. You and, have the power and, to do it. Yeah. You and have, we've talked the money. Me and you've talked about this before, but it's an unofficial term that I've always kind of used is that the eight block radius rule that kind of mm-hmm. comes along with growing up in an urban environment where if your elementary, high school, middle school and grocery store and church is all within eight blocks and you, your family is, you kind of stay in those in those zones. And I witnessed that in both Kansas City and in Tulsa, where it was literally like zoned off when I was working for the city and I would get my map to know where to go. There would be eight block zones where it was like, you know, go to zone zero, zero, two and look for graffiti. Well, I knew that that zone Mm -hmm. was just, you know, eight blocks and there would be a park, a school, you know, and it would be all these different things right there so that people can feed in those directions. And so. Everything, we didn't have actual grocery stores, though. We had, mm-hmm. you know, convenience stores. Right. <laughs> no fresh food. No, it was a food desert. Right. But I guess that's the point that I'm getting at is, is that it is it is important to continue to um, to fight to keep some, you know, like because if you never left though that, it's very hard to just, sort of like just saying, you know, let's sit here in the dark and then I'll just throw the sun in your eyes. Mm-hmm. And you have to navigate. And, and having that sense of community that's, so physical and, and localized yeah. is something that white society in its rush to suburbanize and, yeah. and to flee any kind of diversity and to get as much land as they can, you know, as a yard, they kind of threw that away. Yeah. And now people are rushing to get that back. And that's kind of what's driving gentrification. It's one of the things that's driving yeah. gentrification. And, and- it's that desire for close urban community close and close knit but also close geographic tribalism doesn't always necessarily mean racism you know Mm -hmm. for and i'm saying it not specifically to black people or people of color but more or less to my friends that are white you know it's just like yeah it's okay that you have your circle you know Mm -hmm. i don't view you having a circle of white friends and people who identify with you as a as something that's racist you know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, now, if you're saying no one else can come into that circle, that's when we cross right. the line. And I think that's the other point with gentrification that people have to remember. No one ever said you can't come into the black neighborhood right. or the urban neighborhood. Come on in. Fix your house up. Right. Bring property values up. It's OK. You won't get shot or stabbed or any of those things that they say will happen. 
But you got to I think you do. It takes one or two fearless people to come in and do that. And people just aren't willing. And just be respectful when you do get in the neighborhood is what we hear so often in, in communities all around the country is, you know, people do come in and then they treat the neighbors like they don't belong there. Yeah. Oh, hey, mom. She must be moving some furniture up she there. She is. Sounds like. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yes. so I think you know what I think that we we talked a nice nice kind of line there between people who you know who would criticize um, these kinds of conversations and policies about saying, oh well, if I just want a white community, why can't I just have a white community? Um, which is the diff- which is different than I think what. What we're talking about is some public assistance or some public support for these communities that are getting gentrified. Yeah. Because, for one reason, A, just to protect housing and protect a diverse mixed income community, um, which I think is a goal, just a social goal, is like when we have different incomes, right. regardless of the color, that helps for healthier relationships in a community. But also recognizing that there's been historic, systematic targeting of those communities by government and industry in that we need to to address that historic inequity. Yeah. 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 That's there. That's that's the best way. All right. So we got a little bit more more time. You want to go over one more yeah. time? Oh, we yeah. Got, well, we got, uh, or what? what yeah, no, no, totally. Um, so so as these neighborhoods then, I mean, kind of if you think of us work, walking through history here, um, so as we get into revitalization and people come in and just fix up ex- existing properties, as the market gets, gets more and more valuable, um, you begin to, people start altering the properties or building new properties. And that's when you get into things like upzoning, where a developer or a buyer or even a neighborhood will say, well, we're not getting enough construction out of a given lot, so we want to raise the number of units that can be built on that lot. Or a developer buys a lot and says, well, I can get a lot more money if I can convince the government to upzone, let me put more units on there. So we had a whole a whole um, podcast on, on zoning. You can check that out. And then you get terms like the turn and burn, speculators coming in, buying a building at a low price, selling it at a high price without very much improvement. This is our, our house flipping. It's the same kind of concept. Um, all of the home uh, home and garden network is based on on, yeah, <laughs> on doing is. shows on house flipping. It's like yeah. the gentrification industrial complex over there. It's addictive. It's fascinating to watch. It's really <laughs> it's, fascinating. As yeah. much as I hate what they're doing, but you know the language is starting to sneak in. If you start paying, if you're a person who watched those shows, I was watching uh, where there was a couple who demanded one thing, and the realtor kept saying the market, you know, spec to us. She kept saying that people were taking houses off the market too quickly for them to ever get the house that they want. And I watched mm. this couple ultimately settle for. Her nothing either one of them didn't want it they just settled for what they could get she was only she only showed them three houses that did not fit the description because she said what fit their description 
uh, people came in and already grabbed. She was like, investors are just grabbing them. And this was language that was on the actual show. So it's starting to, you can't hide it now in some of these markets. And and I think it's beginning to seep into the realtors, and I don't know how much of the shows, but there was, I want to say it was an Atlantic Monthly article, I can't remember really where, but it was about one of these celebrity house flipper hosts, yeah. and he got um, contacted by uh, um, a developer in Brooklyn, which is, you know, crazy gentrification there, and he went on a tour with this guy who had something like a hundred homes in Brooklyn. And the guy starts talking about how he acquired the homes, right? And sort of all of the shady things he did to get the <laughs> homes. And, you know, the, the, the real estate agent is aware of redlining and all the historical sort of strikes against people who lived in this community. And he, in this article, is just, they just describe his, his inner torment with buying into that by selling these homes and putting them on the show, um, but also, you know, just the incredible amount of money that's on the table when someone says, I want you to be my broker yeah, for 100 homes in Brooklyn. I mean, it, it's like hundreds of millions of dollars. That is. that's That sets you for life. Yeah, that's, I mean, and it's, yeah. That's, that's that's That is, you know, the rub in a lot of these decisions that people have to make, um, whether they're, you know, Realtors in the industry or homeowners in gentrifying communities. This is what Nikki Williams has to deal with. Yeah. Is making that choice between money on the table um, and other, you know, intangible values. Yeah. yeah. So we start to get into that. Um, you get subdividers. A subdivider is someone who takes a piece of property and makes more units out of it. So say there was one home in your neighborhood or house that you thought had a nice yard all of a sudden you see a second building is on there. And that's because that yard was actually two legal lots. Yeah. And now you, a developer comes in or the homeowner says, well, I'm going to you know, cash in and, and make more money off my property. You might actually see houses that get picked up and moved slightly to the left or slightly to the right. And that's because the house may be straddling the lot line. And so you have to kind of just scooch the house over in order to get another legal lot out of it. Now, aren't there like tax breaks and other things for people who do those type of things? Depends on the on the community, on the yeah. on the city. There can be because like in Portland, we the city wants to see more density. They want to see, you know, little little granny flats in the backyard so they can get more housing units without knocking down houses. So it, it does depend. I don't know if um, Portland has an actual tax yeah. incentive there. So all of those things are kind of... <laughs> this is kombucha. This is not beer. But so people know I'm a hippie. It's a podcast and <laughs> people have done worse on them. And then you also, <sighs> the revelation yeah. from earlier today. Uh, yeah, That's it's getting way too personal on yeah. this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man, it's, it's, you got any more any more terms to pull out? One okay, we're, we're running long. Okay. Yeah, yeah just one, so, two. Um. Yeah, I, th- I think that's good. We can do a yeah, third good. show. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So oh, uh, subdividers can also be sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Subdividers can also divide up an individual building. Yeah. And so you'll also see that in when it's allowed. So an individual single-family home might be carved up into, you know, many many condo units inside or many rental units. I lived in a townhouse in Chelsea, in New York City, in 1992. That was a single family home at one time, three stories, and uh, it was carved up into 
six units. So I had a, an apartment that was basically like 200 square feet or so. It was half the size of mom's basement here. And um, basically a, a, a millionaire came in or a billionaire came in, bought the whole building and converted it back to a single family house. And so that's kind of the ebb and flow of things. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the show for today. Uh, Coming up, we've got some really interesting uh, shows throughout the year. So you've got a lot uh, coming your way, a lot more coming your way from Priced Out as a team. We're going to really investigate some good things. And like we had teased earlier, uh, we're going to talk Long Beach next. Um, And we'll even get another term show out there for you real soon. So, And we'll talk about Uncaged, which is yeah. an interesting project going it on It is. Here. It's a very interesting project. So, uh, yeah, because we, we've got, like, a lot of comic book movies that are going to be coming out. Yeah. And so... Oh, Captain Marvel. Yeah. Um, and then the, the Endgame. Um, the Avengers Endgame. Oh, so oh, that's right. Avengers you've Endgame. You got that. You got another Spider-Man coming out. So. Black Panther Two is in the works. Yeah. Is there? We can speculate a little bit there. Yeah, it's going to be a whole lot of discussions that we can have, as well as uh, just things that are going on in the actual comic book world that I'm trying to get involved with. So. We've got a lot going on, man. It's a lot. So we'll definitely talk about Uncaged. And please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, You can definitely catch the podcast anywhere podcasts are being heard. And if it's not on the uh, platform you listen to, then send us an email and we will request that it gets, uh, you know, it gets put on that podcast uh, platform. So as for right now, um, definitely iTunes, uh, Anchor. Spotify. Spotify is my favorite way to listen. Um, if you go Google, to our anchor page, you can also donate to the pro, um, yes. to the the project. We have a little ad that you heard coming into it, and um, yeah, that's um, just one way to support. Yes, it is racking up seven bucks right there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we don't know what we're gonna do with all that money. Hopefully, buy someone some draws. But, <laughs> <laughs> but there we go. All right, we uh, thank you guys for listening to Priced Out, and we will see you. Uh, next week and hear from you or you will hear from us you will hear in from a us. few weeks you'll hear from say. us again, yeah, again our yeah. we can't promise what day <laughs> just playing in a few weeks thanks thanks